was the summer of 1981. I was in junior high. It was the summer between 7th and 8th grade for me. And I, many of you know that I enjoy movies. And so that is how I would often spend my allowance is going to the Oldham Theater in Winchester, Tennessee, right there on the square. And I remember watching Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And that movie was just, because it, it was a storyline like nothing I had ever seen in my young life. And uh, that opening scene where Indiana Jones goes into this cave and he is searching for this artifact. And it's essentially a pagan idol. And he gets all the way through the cave. And of course there are, if you've seen the movie, you know the story. There are all kinds of traps and pitfalls. And uh, there are, uh, there's obviously some people that have entered this cave and they weren't successful in getting past all of those traps. He sees the skeletons and the remains of those who have gone before him. And, of course, the tension just continues to build. And there's the, uh, the little poison arrows that shoot out of the wall. And, and uh, there's him having to get, in the, when he finally sees what he's looking for, that idol. And then him having to get uh, to, get to it. Uh, and then he's figuring out, how do I get this thing off of here? Because he knows there's more traps that are awaiting him. And that scene finally where he's running out of the cave and there's that massive boulder that is rolling and coming right behind him. And then he gets out of the cave and jumps to the side and the boulder misses him. And you're like, man, this, this character that I'd never heard of, Indiana Jones, and, and man, what a, what a cool and exciting guy, and, and look, look what he did here. But then it was all for naught, because there was somebody waiting for him outside of the cave that wanted that artifact. And so they took it from him. And then the guy holds it up and all these natives immediately bow down in worship of this idol. And so right there it was from Hollywood on the big screen, pagan worship. But what were they doing? They were bowing down. We just sang about bowing down, didn't we, Adam? Yeah. What is this thing that we do here when we gather on Sunday morning? The idea that we come to worship. In uh, the ancient church, used the Psalms as their songbook. What's pictured here, if you can see it, is, is a copy of the Psalms that dates back to the 4th century. And this would have been used by Coptic Christians or Christians in Egypt, probably someplace like Alexandria. And so that, when they gathered together, they would sing the Psalms. And we don't have to look that hard. I mean, what Scotty read this morning <clears throat> has been set to song. 
Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. If you know it, you can sing with me. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to Him. The sea is His, He made it. In His hands He formed the dry land. Yeah. Right there, verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 95, sung. Now, I know the ancient church would have used that exact tune, you know, but you get the idea. And the same goes with verses 6 and 7. Um, one of my favorite songs of worship. Invite you to join with me. Come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. Come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand, just the sheep of His hand. Thank you, church. Thank you so much for that. Come, let us worship and bow down. Why are we bowing down to this God? Why do we do it? Why do we get out of bed and on Sunday mornings where there are lots of places we could be? Now, this time of the year, okay, there's, there's, your options might be a little more limited. But boy... As cold as it might be, and as cold as it's going to get a few nights from now, it won't be that long. That's the beauty of a four-season environment. It won't be that long. And spring will have sprung. And some will be on a golf course on a Sunday morning. Some will be at the river on a Sunday morning. And so there are lots and lots of options. And so why is it that we choose to gather here? Isaiah 55 reminds us about the nature of God compared to us. Beginning with verse 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and He will have mercy on them. And to our God, for He will freely pardon I read in the Tennessean that our governor once again has gotten in the habit of issuing some pardons and clemencies this time of the year. And I get that. It's, it's Christmas time. What better time of the year for someone that might be deserving of it to be granted mercy? 
And so I love the idea that if we call on God that he is near. It reminds me of what Paul preaches in Athens in Acts 17. And if we just turn to the Lord, he will have mercy on us and he will freely pardon them. In verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Church family, so you heard me quote that time and again, and I'll keep doing it. Because that right there, the idea that God is above us, that God is beyond our complete understanding, Some folks make the mistake of thinking they've got God all figured out. And they put God in a box and say, well, there he is. There's God. I get him. I understand him. I like being reminded that God is above us. That God is beyond us. If we go back to the garden in the early chapters of Genesis... Genesis chapter 3, what is that motivation that the serpent gives for enticing Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? The serpent says, oh, surely you won't die. God knows that if you eat of the fruit of that tree... You will gain knowledge and you will be, what church, like Him? No. No. We can't be like Him. Because He is above us. His ways are not our ways and His thoughts are above our thoughts. And we should all be so grateful for that. Because... If his thoughts were not above our thoughts and his ways were not above our ways, he would not be worthy of our worship. He would not be worthy of us bowing down. Think about Jesus. In my class this morning, we were talking about the Exodus, about the Passover, about how they were to select a young young lamb or they could select it from the goats about a year old but without blemish or defect in other words it had to be perfect but we talked about how that is Jesus he is the lamb and he was perfect that's why He is worthy for us to pray in His name because of His perfection. A perfection that we do not, nor will we ever possess. But yet God, because He is love and He loves us, is willing to pardon. And that is a God worth worshiping. Let me continue on now. Verse 10. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without warning the earth and making it without watering the earth. I'm going to see that optometrist January the 2nd, I promise you. 
oh my goodness, I'm overdue by a few months at least, without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Such comforting words there in the book of Isaiah. Looking at the idea of king and kingdom and what this kingdom that we are a part of is all about, we turn to Matthew chapter 3. A chapter of Scripture, Matthew chapter 13, excuse me, a chapter of Scripture that is just full of the teachings of Jesus in parable form. Beginning with verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And so Jesus trying to impress upon his audience that the kingdom of God is worth whatever you have to sacrifice for it. That it is beyond anything that you could ever possess. If you are someone who likes stuff, you probably discovered that no matter how much stuff you can accumulate, at the end of the day it's just stuff. It might bring a little bit of joy for a while, but then the joy fades. And so Jesus is saying... Whatever you have to give up, do it for this kingdom because this kingdom is worth giving it all up for. And that's why we come. And that's why we worship and bow down. That's why we kneel before the Lord, our God, our Maker. And then finally, in Psalm 130, which in my lack of infinite wisdom I failed to mark today. But we're close. Psalm 130 is, you may notice in your Bible, right under Psalm 130 it says, A Song of Ascents. And so uh, the ascent they would make is when they would go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is on a hill. And so the temple is up high. And so when they would go to Jerusalem for one of the pilgrim festivals, and that would include Passover, 
seven weeks later, Pentecost, and in the fall, the Feast of Tabernacles that's part of celebrating the final harvest of the year. And so when they would go to one of those pilgrim festivals, this is one of the things they would sing as they were making their way up to Jerusalem. And I believe Psalms 117 through 134 include all of the songs of ascents. Psalm 130, out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Isn't that good news, church? Verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in His word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with Him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And right there, echoing the beauty of the coming of Christ. We're going to talk about that, of course, next Sunday. We gather on the morning of Christmas Eve. But being reminded from the ancient scriptures this morning of God's limitless capacity to forgive. We've heard these words such as mercy, forgiveness, and redemption. And I love the idea in Psalm 130 when it says we should put our hope in the Lord for with the Lord is what kind of love, church? Unfailing love. And with Him is full redemption. He will redeem all Israel from their sins. Now, I think maybe a quick reminder that when the Scriptures refer to Israel, they just simply don't mean the nation of Israel as we know it today, the nation-state. Galatians 3.29 And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are His heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So in other words, we read the Psalms and it says Israel. We should be thinking about all who are children of God. All who belong to the body of Christ. All have achieved that full redemption. And therefore we are free to serve Him. I hope these words bring you the kind of peace, the kind of joy, the kind of comfort that they do me. It's a season of peace and joy. 
And nothing brings me more peace and joy than to know that when I fall short, and I fall short, I do it every day in some form or fashion. That when I do, and I turn back to God after that personal inventory, when I say, how did I fail God today? Where did I get it right? Where did I get it wrong? How can I do it better? That there is a loving and gracious God who first and foremost hears my prayers because He is not far from any one of us. But then He's willing to forgive me once again. He's willing to forgive us once again through the blood of our Savior, Christ Jesus. And so if you're with us this morning and you have not yet put on Christ in baptism, as that same book of Galatians mentions, then we invite you to do so. We invite you to, if you're not a child of God, to respond to the invitation this morning and once and for all declare, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we make the waters of baptism available for you. If you're here this morning and there's something weighing on you and you need the prayers of this body, we offer the invitation for that reason as well. Let's stand together and sing. Oh.